0: while we were marching through Georgia. Everybody swing your honey, swing your high and low. The Alaman left for the old left and around the ring you go. A grand old right to left walk on your heel and toe. From any pretty gal to Georgia. In a few states like Ohio, you couldn't watch a movie that hadn't already been seen and approved by an individual or a board of censors. In Chicago, the chief of police could screen movies and decide which ones would be appropriate for the people of his city to view. The way they enforced this in states like Ohio and Pennsylvania is that the state would charge a fee to distribute a movie to theaters in their state. And if the movie didn't pass review by the censors, they didn't pay the distribution fee. So any theater that showed it would be breaking the law. Up until 1913, the Supreme Court hadn't really weighed in a lot on the issue of free speech, they mostly left it to state governments. But this issue did go to the Supreme Court in 1915, when the Mutual Film Corporation sued, claiming that the law violated free speech and interstate commerce. They lost 9-0. Now you have to wonder, how could every judge declare that films were not protected by the First Amendment? Well, simple, they just decided that movies were not legitimate forms of expression at all. The exhibition of moving pictures is a business, pure and simple, originated and conducted for profit like other spectacles, and not to be regarded as part of the press of the country or as organs of public opinion within the meaning of freedom of speech and publication, guaranteed by the Constitution of Ohio. In other words, movies are not works of art. This led to a little confusion, Hollywood would produce movies that might be approved in one state and banned in another. It was often difficult to predict which films would show in which states, and the criteria that each state would use to censor those films. However, if you went to a movie in Atlanta, you could be sure it had been watched and approved mostly by one person, Mrs. Alonzo Richardson. This is Moving Through Georgia and today, Movie Censorship in Georgia. In 1915 a law was passed in Atlanta that allowed the banning of films that would adversely affect the morals of the good people of that city. This led to the creation of the Better Films Committee. They would meet on Saturday to screen any films that may be shown through the week. A few years in, Mrs. Alonzo Richardson would join the committee. And this is just a side note. I found many newspaper articles praising Mrs. Alonzo Richardson for her selfless efforts at improving the lives of her fellow Georgians, none of which use her first name. All of the women in all of the articles about the various women's clubs of Atlanta, they're all referred to by their husbands' name. Apparently, her first name was Zella. Zella Richardson was involved in the Women's Christian Temperance Union, the DAR, and the Atlanta League of Women Voters, but she's probably best known for her time as president of the Atlanta Better Films Committee. There were committees pretty much everywhere. There was one in Athens and one in Augusta, but the biggest weight was with the committee in the capital city. And in 1923, Mrs. Richardson announced that Selection and cooperation would help solve the problem of sexual and violent content in movies. She called these the problems of the industry. A movie that passed the committee was one that didn't mention white slavery, which is basically prostitution. Uh, Vamping or making use of sex appeal was frowned upon. So were improper love affairs. No scenes in bedrooms or bathrooms, and of course, no nudity. And one other thing, the good guys had to win. Crime could not pay, and criminals must be punished or bring themselves to a bad end. Something that I found unusual, Zella Richardson was not a believer in state or federal legislation on the content of movies. She once wrote a letter to a movie trade magazine in which she describes herself as, a legislative official of the state of Georgia, by virtue of her membership of the Georgia Federation of Women's Clubs. She says that censorship laws were failing across the nation and that their system, which was placing the responsibility into the hands of socialites, was the best method for keeping society safe. However, in 1926, Congress began to push for a federal takeover of the movie censorship business, and the industry held it off by promising to police themselves better. This became known as the Hays Code. When you watch channels like Turner Classic Movies, they'll mention pre-code movies. Some of those were even made at a time that the code existed but had no enforcement powers. By 1934, all films had to have a certificate of approval and this system lasted some 30 years. With the code, many of the local censorship boards were no longer needed, and they began to disappear. There are a million stories of how the film industry changed during the code years. Betty Boop got a longer skirt, women had to keep one foot on the floor when kissing, that sort of thing. Even Cardinal Richelieu in The Three Musketeers is made a government official because his actions would have reflected badly on a member of the church. Now, in the specific case of Atlanta, with the Hays Code came the Atlanta Board of Film Review, with Zella Richardson as Executive Secretary. She would continue watching movies and approving them until about 1945 when she was replaced by Christine Smith, director of the Atlanta League of Women Voters, and a woman, by the way, who went by her name. Now, of course, through all of this, there is a common theme, and that is the preservation of social and racial attitudes of the time. Mixed-race couples were not an option in these movies, and often different films would be approved or denied for certain audiences. Some films would be considered appropriate for white audiences and not black audiences and the other way around. Both the Hayes Code and their local boards used their vetoes to continue the racial status quo of the time. I listened to a really good podcast called Archive Atlanta that gave me a good background on the subject and points out two examples of censorship by Christine Smith. One is a 1949 film called Lost Boundaries. Basically, a black man graduates from medical school in Chicago and finds a good position in a local hospital due to his light skin. He's mistaken for white. Over his career, he proves to be an excellent doctor and At the close of the film is the town physician to a mainly white community in the north. Basically, he proves himself and finds acceptance among the townspeople. The creators of the film asked to show it in Atlanta, and Smith replied that, well, she had no specific power to ban the film, but she could not guarantee that the police wouldn't choose to shut the theater down, and the movie was not shown. Contrast that to a film named Pinky, in which a black woman tries to pass in white society and finds that she is better off living with black people in their community. That particular film did get approved to be shown. Of course, with all of this came some court challenges. And they didn't really get very far. In 1950, the Supreme Court refused to visit the issue at all, upholding Atlanta's right to censor films. Now, if you grew up in the 80s and watched the show M.A.S.H. in reruns, you might recall one episode in which they try to acquire a film called The Moon is Blue, which was well known for its apparent raciness. A character in the film does profess to be a virgin, and, and well, that's, that's pretty much the problem with the film. What's interesting is that the makers of the film knew it was going to be banned, and they just released it anyway. Eventually, films like Some Like It Hot and Psycho were also released without certification, went on to be very successful. Theater owners obviously cared deeply about the morals of their customers, but, you know, money is money. Eventually, so many exceptions were made to the code that it became irrelevant. In 1952, the Supreme Court allowed the outright ban of only fully obscene films. In 1965, they ruled that banning a film before it's shown without a court order was unconstitutional. In the early 60s, the Atlanta Board continued to try and defend their own existence, but in 1962, the state Supreme Court ruled that censorship before the fact was a violation of the state constitution. Christine Smith would work two more years as a movie reviewer, but her position had been made more or less irrelevant. I just want to remind you that Moving Through Georgia is a history podcast that focuses on Northeast Georgia. If you have any comments, questions, or complaints, I suggest you send a letter to your local review board or movingthroughgeorgia at gmail.com. Also, it would be great if you would give us five stars on whatever uh, platform you're listening to. It really seriously does move us up the charts and get this podcast out to more people who need to know about the history of their community. You're probably more familiar with a system that started in 1968. That's the Motion Picture Association with their Classification and Rating Administration. That's G, PG, and R, eventually adding PG 13 and NC 17. A little bit of trivia while I do this last quote, see if you can think of the first PG 13 movie quote is, censorship reflects a society's lack of confidence in itself. And that's true. If we are afraid to look in a mirror at our society, then... What are we passing on to Get the generations out. after us? Step right up and swing them, boy, swing high. That's the way we do Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That trivia question. uh The first PG 13 movie was Red Dawn, and it was released in uh, 1984. Down in Georgia, everybody swing your honey, swing your high and low. The Alaman left for the old left hand, around the ring you go. A grand old right left walk on your heel and toe from an adept pretty gal to Georgia, that's all.